say that you believe Barr forced you out of that job at SDNY because he no doubt believed that by removing me, he could eliminate a threat to Trump's re-election. How was your work as U.S. attorney a threat to Trump's re-election? Well, at the time I was fired, the Southern District of New York was working on a, a, a couple politically sensitive cases. Uh, one of those cases is the Steve Bannon, we build the wall case. And we were very close to indicting that case around the time I got fired and Barr knew about the case. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. We are back after a week off uh, for Labor Day. Uh, I'm Jared Yates Sexton. I'm here with Nick Houseman. Nick Houseman last week was traveling, moving around, mostly kept completely and utterly quarantined away from breaking events. Is that true, Nick? I was off the grid for like f- almost four of those days, and I've managed to stay off of the news for the other three. An incredible, you say as if you were avoiding using heroin. That's wonderful. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I will say it's a Herculean task at this point to avoid news in any way, shape, or form. I think you are to be commended for this feat. You know what's interesting is I discovered that I really don't use my phone for much anything but yep. Twitter news. And I was fidgety. I had nothing to do. I, you know what I ended up doing? I deleted like a lot of apps on my phone that I didn't need anymore. And I don't know about you, but on my text messages notification, I've always had 10, 15, 20, 30 that I never opened. It's just sitting there forever. I scrolled all the way back years to finally check all those texts I hadn't opened before. So now I have a beautiful zero, uh, you know, notification on my text messages. It's wait, wait. Before we get to the news, how many unread texts did you have? I mean, it was probably like it was probably like twenty something. That's oh been, my god. Yeah. Oh, it went back. I not that I was embarrassed. I hadn't seen those, but like you know, years. And I finally got rid of them. I mean, that's where I'm at. I, I literally think that seventy some percent of my time on my phone is literally just looking at news. That's incredible. I've never been that popular. All right, so we are going to go through the breaking news with Nick here in a second. All of it fresh, apparently, except for the main news story, which I have to talk about in a second. Uh, We're also going to welcome onto the podcast later Nancy Schwartzman, a filmmaker and the author of the new book, Roll Red Roll, Rape, Power, and Football in the American Heartland. Uh, As If the subtitle didn't give it away, there will be some content warnings there in terms of sexual assault, but I guarantee you it will be a necessary good discussion. I hope you stick around for it. Nick? You you were out of touch. You were kept away from the news, but somehow or another, you still managed to find out that Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of Great Britain, died at the age of 96 following a 70-year reign. That is seven decades for those following at home. Uh, Prince Charles is now King Charles III. A little bit of a history lesson. The previous Charles uh, didn't do great. Charles I had his head cut off by Oliver Cromwell and the New Model Army in 1649. Charles II uh, basically had a completely messy reign filled with conspiracy theories and a messy kingdom. Uh, He died of mercury poisoning after having bloodletting. Go ahead. (laughs) Just not a a great moniker to uh, take on. Uh, we got to get into this, what the uh, the monarchy actually represents. But uh, yeah, Nick, you couldn't stay away from the news that the Queen Mother had died. It was weird. I must have sensed it because we were talking about it while I was off the grid. And just like amazed at how long she's lived. And apparently, yes, the longest monarch ever, as far as I understand it. Uh, and uh, then literally the next day, poof, I walk into an, a diner. I'm not watching the screen, this diner in Idaho, which had Newsmax on it. 
not even like Fox News, Newsmax. Think That's about that. That's a hell that. of a choice, by the way, to just have Newsmax as your default news setting in a diner. Yeah. So I sat with my back to it, but like my, you know, my uh, son and my uh, my wife both said, oh. And then whatever it was, I was like, wait, that's a weird reaction. So they had noticed that and they said, well, we just talked about it late yesterday. So I figured, oh, you're talking about the queen. But, uh, you know, listen, I, I can remember. Do you remember when Charles and Diana got married? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can remember that like being such a huge thing even here over the news in 82 probably. You know what? I actually don't think I, – I, obviously, I was too young to have watched it. I, I think I, that's one of those events that was like so sort of seminal in American culture that I sort of absorbed it through osmosis. My main memory – and this is a weird thing – it's Night Court. It was when Marky Post's character in Night Court was obsessed with the wedding of Charles and Diana. Night Court was a great show, by the way. It was a great, great show. Yeah. And so anyway, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. We're supposed to feel anything about this. I don't know of anyone. She's just a figurehead. She's just waves her, you know, whatever, and been hanging out for a long time. I mean, uh, that said, I didn't watch The Crown. Is that what it's called? The Crown? I, yeah. So wait, time oh. out. I, I, I got to say, oh. you missed the the social media event of the year which was this outpouring of emotions and fighting over the legacy of elizabeth oh. it was it, it it was not the best day in the world on twitter i'll, I'll put it that far there were um i, I want to share with you nick this is actually great this is andrew sullivan Mm. Uh, for those who don't know, Andrew Sullivan is this sort of uh, now right wing contrarian who has like ugly, ugly beliefs. Uh, he's, he's transphobic. He's racist. This is one of my personal favorites. Nick, are you re- are you ready for Andrew Sullivan remembering the queen? Lay, lay it down. A queen for the ages, a rock, an unbroken thread. How to process this wave of complex cascading emotion. Four words. Long live the king. Okay, that's interesting. How gross, how gross is that? Like, so I don't even understand. Long live the king! Like he's trolling because he, now it's time to have. No, Charles. it's 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 the the new era. Like the idea of the monarchy is once the monarch dies, an automatic new monarch comes, which makes it an unbroken chain. Oh. I gotta tell you, by the way, and I think your response of are people upset about this? Like that's the great question. Who in the who in the modern world seriously gets so caught up in in the monarchy? Who supports this? What an outdated relic! What a disgusting institution! You you had by the way, Jake Tapper was referring to Her Majesty. Can you imagine <laughs> saying out loud Her Majesty, His Majesty? Like, how can you do that? I, really? I mean, there's a quaintness to it, and sort of a nice, like, That's you it. know, homage to like the past, and it's kind of cosplay fun, right? Like in that way, but but it is. It you're exactly right. It's a quaint, antique artifact and and to to still talk by the way you missed this i'm i'm so sorry that we got to talk about this nick so after she died uh over buckingham palace a rainbow appeared and over and over and over again on social media people are like i think it's a sign another cloud with her face in it like floated over a city it literally I, it, 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 it rotted my brain in 2022 <laughs> to watch this happen in real time. A, a dead monarch who did nothing but be born into the right family at the right time sent a rainbow as a message, Nick. Well, by the way, it was even more crazy for her story. She really wasn't supposed to be the queen. And, you know, I'm already forgetting the, the history because it's not important to me. But, you know, there was some weird circumstance, right? Somebody, did, oh, I know, denounced his right because he wanted to marry an American, whatever. So, um, you know, it, it, she wasn't really even in line anyway. 
uh, you know, I, listen, what would happen? You know how you're not supposed to like turn your back on the monarch or you're supposed to you have to you have to do certain things like bow, whatever. Like, what do you think would happen if like somebody didn't do one of those things in, in 2018? Let's say, well, are they going to get arrested? Like, what is all that? Well, Nick, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, in recent days, there have been multiple people arrested in Great Britain for protesting the monarchy. Oh, is that so? Yes. Just protesting. People saying, I didn't vote for this. I don't believe in this. Uh, A bunch of people were actually, uh, I got to tell you, Scotland and Ireland are having a great time. They're (laughs) really enjoying it. Um, And and yeah, people are being uh, pulled away from this. But I, I, I think what's important in all of this is... Yes, this is the changing of an era, but also Great Britain's in trouble, man. Like, it's it's, it's been coming out recently, uh, there's a major energy crisis that is looming over, over winter. Uh, they have ballooning uh, energy costs. Uh, we're, we're literally looking at the possibility of some people within the United Kingdom possibly dying during the winter. And now, like, this whole thing, it just feels very very much on a larger scale like the decline of a of once quote-unquote great empire that was built of course on genocides exploitation massacres white supremacy all of it but it is uh, a lot i think it is i think it is and uh i i don't know how to make this but yeah i, I suppose charles will they'll, they'll begin to fade right at some point they're not going to have a monarchy anymore right if it's 50 years from now or something like that right your your words to God's ears, my man. I, I wanted so badly for the entire institution to just crumble. But people need it. They need it like they need religion. They need to believe in something magical happening that like hides the hides what all's going on. I agree. I agree. I can't wait for it. And, uh, you know, again, it, this is the natural progression of, of humanity, I suppose. And they're going to realize. And by the way, another piece of news to go along with this that goes along with Great Britain's decline, uh, conservative Liz Truss uh, became the new prime minister. Um, Liz Truss uh, is is part of this larger corporate structure. She previously worked at Shell. She was with all these like, you know, conservative think tanks, pro market free, uh, think tanks. Uh, she's an anti-woke warrior. I know you're shocked. Uh, she sucks. She's got nothing to offer. And Great Britain just continues to slide and decline. And I got to tell you, man, it um, it feels a little bit like a harbinger of what we've got to look forward to. Well, I'm looking forward to I, I'm here. Here's my thing. I'm really praying that this isn't the headline that I missed over the last week. Please tell me if there's something more than just the death of the queen. Because, by the way, well, just full, full disclosure, as soon as I got back on the grid, I got my phone back, I turned it on. There's a message waiting for me from Jared saying, please do not look at any news whatsoever. Get to Monday. So, oh, actually, you know what? That was before the news of Queen Elizabeth. So it has to be something else. I've got I've got a couple of other things that I want. I want to watch your real time reaction to um, Nick. There's been a development in the Trump documents case. Uh, the case of Trump versus the United States, which I think is apropos, uh, it reached the Southern District of Florida, where Trump appointed District Judge Eileen Cannon, who, by the way, had absolutely no credentials whatsoever. Uh, she is an originalist. Uh, Nick, I know this is going to shock you, but she is a longtime member of the Federalist Society. Uh, she ruled that the investigation into Trump's documents situation had to be paused in order for a quote-unquote special master to be appointed in order to review over 11,000 documents to understand what is being done in this case. Wow. 
Well, I, also, she has no jurisdiction on this, right? She's not supposed to have anything. Anyway, oh, she's got jurisdiction. But, I love my, for and, and, and I know the podcasts are in audio form. Uh, before I got to the actual nut of that story, Nick was so excited. I was going to tell him the Trump was led away in handcuffs. Yeah. Oh, um, my God. And, so, and, and just crestfallen. All right. So you're telling me yes. that some rando is able to have enough power over this this uh, this proceedings to stop the because I can understand like you know the investigation going on while they're also you know having a special master blah 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 she mean to tell me she has now told the Department of Justice they cannot continue this investigation at all until you have to pause as a quote unquote special master reviews these documents which is going to be an appointed person to literally and I want you to wrap your head around this a court-appointed, quote-unquote, special master is going to go through documents that are at the highest level of classified top-secret material that the United States of America has. How are they going to find someone like that? I mean, right? There's only there's probably a limited amount of people that he can do it. And they've already done this, haven't they? Didn't the FBI already go through all these records anyway and sort whatever material they needed to sort out? Well, the court needs to figure out if this involves executive privilege, which is absolute nonsense because this has nothing to do with executive privilege. Basically, every legal expert in the country has lined up to say this is wrong, including – let me check my notes. I don't know if I've heard this name before. A guy by the name of Bill Barr went on Fox News and called it a deeply flawed ruling. Uh, a Duke professor, which, by the way, is the alma mater of Eileen Cannon, because of course it is. Mm -hmm. uh, a Duke professor, uh, Samuel Buell, said it was, quote unquote, utterly lawless and that she had disgraced her position as a judge. Wow. Everybody, everybody in the world is saying that this isn't just flawed, but it's it's actually embarrassing on her part. She doesn't know what she's doing. The Department of Justice has uh, has has gone after this to uh, try and get it overruled. But oh, right. Is that, is that so there is something they can do? Uh, it remains to be seen, Nick, because one of the things that we're watching here is the judiciary, which, of course, has been stocked with a very, very particular group of people to protect Republicans, Donald Trump and the wealthy. Uh, it's unclear where this goes from here. I should have known better. I should have known better to think that there would have been something positive with this when I got back. I, I was, uh, I'm mad at myself, Jared. I'm not even mad at this judge. I'm more mad at myself that I let my, you know, I get excited for a minute, you know, for last We have days. other developments that maybe might be seen as a little bit more positive. Okay. But I, I will go ahead and tell you, and, and we need to react to this uh, in, in, in time. Um, this is the system protecting itself. This is what happens. You have some like people look at this and they say Donald Trump obviously is going to go to jail. You can't steal state, state secrets and possibly sell them off like that. There's a line that he crosses where it has to stop. Um, as we keep saying, this system is built to protect powerful, wealthy white men. And, and Nick, we're seeing it constantly. You you see special masters. What do we see in Congress? We saw a parliamentarian. Like mm -hmm. these are things that are just popping up to try and protect this. It's 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 absolute horseshit. It, it's like the monarchy. Like these are pans from a distant past of, of something. But you know, did she? I'm just kind of curious because you know I'm, I like to look at the other side of things too. Did she throw out even a nugget of some sort of justification for why the whole thing has to pause? I mean, well, Nick, um, I'm glad you said that because she brought up a, a really, really good point, which is it could cause uh, uh, reputational uh, problems. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, because Trump's could, reputation it could, is, it, yes, could, it could hurt Trump's sparkling, reputation. It's a sparkling reputation that he needs to uh, protect. It's weird, actually, uh, for those uh, history heads out there, uh, that's actually w- one of the reasons why George W. Bush's legal team went to the Supreme Court and asked for them to stop the counting of votes in the 2000 uh, presidential election, was that continuing to count votes could hurt his reputation. Wow, I don't remember that at all, but that was one of the things. By the way, that, that's, that is... I don't know. Barr was part of that, but that was Kavanaugh. Bush's Bush's legal team in 2000 said George W. Bush's reputation as the winner of the of the election of 2000. His reputation and status as winner could be hurt if you continue counting votes and show that he actually lost. That actually now does sound familiar. And uh, wow. The law is malleable. That's the entire point of this. We like to imagine that it's quote unquote blind or impartial and it's just not. It's just a bunch of people arguing bullshit and who wins out in the end. It's not like this priest class of, of the judiciary class. Like that's not what this is. Like this is a person who got put in by Donald Trump who shouldn't have been there. Uh, should He shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have won the presidency. Uh, he shouldn't have been able to stalk the judiciary. And we just see over and over like the consequences of this play themselves out. I'm trying to think of like what's going on here because obviously delay is the only tactic they have and as it has Trump has done forever and ever. Uh, I suppose the notion is that they can delay it until he wins the presidency again and then pardons himself, right? I mean, uh, you know, how did anybody pontificate as to how long it might take some... Oh, did she put a, a, a time frame on when to appoint a special master? Uh, I haven't seen anything about that, but, you know, in most things legal, they just sort of like, you know, they float around and yeah. who knows. Like next I, week, they're like, oh, shit, we forgot to look at who's going to be the special. All right, well, let's get on that right now. <laughs> one of the things that I really enjoyed about having this story in my pocket and explaining it to you is how fresh it was going to be, the idea of a special master. Like this isn't, you know, it's just this term that is just completely sort of made up whole cloth. And to watch you have to process the absolute bullshit nature of this entire situation, it's 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 pretty choice, I'll say that. I, I hear, yeah. Again, I'm just, uh, you know, I should not have, never let myself even have a glimmer of hope on this one. But, uh, but the, hey, by the way, they'll go through it. They've already done it anyway. Nothing will happen. And then they'll they'll start up again, you know? Well, I mean, uh, hopefully, maybe that's the case, and maybe the monarchy will collapse. Can I can I hit you with some good news? Please, give me some good news. Uh, this is another one that I've been very excited to talk to you about. Uh, Steve Bannon, the former campaign head of the Trump campaign, former advisor and uh, mole man, uh, surrendered himself uh, in New York and was indicted on multiple charges of money laundering, conspiracy, and fraud. Uh, resulting from the scam, the the We Build the Wall scam that Trump had pardoned him for, which took care of federal charges, but not state charges. Wow. And he surrendered, I guess. Well, not that that meant anything, but... um, Yeah, we got got a Steve Bannon perp walk while you were out. Oh, really? Even you got the video of that? Oh, yeah, we got to see him going through the judicial system being passed down like so many feces. Multi-shirted? Was he multi-shirted? You know, now that you're talking about it, I don't know if I saw multiple shirts. Okay. But, okay, so they perp-walked him under that because, again, the acceptance of the pardon is supposed to somehow, right, uh, indicate guilt. By the, by the way, just for a second, Nick, as, a, as, a, as an exercise, because we have this really unique experience, I just want you to take a second, take a deep breath, and I want you to visualize Steve Bannon being walked through the legal system. Just, just do it real fast. How's that feel? 
Feels good. Feels good. I gotta say, I, I, hate, I hate to see anybody, you know, have ex- bad experiences, but like this was that feels good. Yeah, it does. Uh, Bannon, uh, this is great. Um, after he was sort of walked through this, uh, he said, "quote unquote," uh, one of the best days of my life. Bannon uh, said that. Bannon said that, which, by the way, reminds me of one of my favorite drill quotes, which is, and another thing, I'm not mad. Please don't put in the newspaper that I got mad. I mean, it, he he basically turned this into, in typical Steve Bannon uh, form, he came out and said, quote, I am proud to be a leading voice on protecting our borders and building a wall to keep our country safe from drugs and violent criminals. They are coming after all of us, not only President Trump oh, and right. myself. Are you ready for this? This is, this, uh, these assholes, it never stops. I am never going to stop fighting. In fact, I have not yet begun to fight. They will have to kill me first. Right. Yeah. Obi-Wan Bannon here with the, uh, you strike me down, I will be more powerful than you can imagine. Uh, yeah, he wants to be the martyr. Great. I'm sure he's relying on the fact they're going to put him in like a, one of those nice prisons or something like that, I guess. It's incredible. And, and for those who maybe haven't kept up on this, this is just a, a, a purely make America great again style scam. Uh, Bannon, who, and, and I wrote a little bit about this this weekend, is like one of the true believers of all of this. Like he is an actual ideologue. He's not just, uh, you know, doing this for, for shits and giggles. Like he actually truly wants to unravel uh, liberal democracy and create a new traditionalist style society. Meanwhile, at the same time, Nick uh, took advantage of border wall bullshit, Trump's main appeal, and created this group that it's called We Build the Wall, which brought in $15 million, basically stealing you know, social security money from people around, and, and, and all of these things are continuing to do, and did it all you know, for uh, personal profit and gain. And, and this is one of the true believers who still use the MAGA philosophy and worldview to uh, line their pockets. Well, is there any better not even a metaphor, but it, it, any more symbol of like what the Republican Party is exactly. than this. And I, you know, I, I, because I couldn't be on the news and I couldn't risk being on Twitter for anything else, I literally was like, I was, so what I did it was I was on my book. I'm doing a lot of the Reagan research right now. So I'm stuck in the middle of the Reagan thing. And like it keeps coming up over and over again how, in the name of evangelicalism or in the name of, you know, conservative values, they would just continue to grift. And they, yep. they that's how they viewed this as a way of yep. just getting a rich quick scheme that like seemed to have the blessing of the government behind it. This is it. This is exactly what this is. And it's again, will probably not have any effect on any of those people, even the people that gave them the money probably would do it again, right? Like, I don't even know if they have regrets of it on it. Well, I mean, you know, when it comes to ideology, again, it's the way we explain things. I have to imagine that everybody who got scammed in this thing, they look at it and they think, oh, this wasn't a scam. I didn't get scammed. Like, this is just, you know, the deep state going after and trying to keep us from doing whatever. The wall was not necessarily going to be built. It was a giant boondoggle. It was a, it was a way to scam money from the government, a way to scam money from donors, you name it. And I think someone like Bannon, when they approach this, did he want a wall? Absolutely he did. Does he want anti-immigration statuses? Yes, absolutely. He wants a white nationalistic state. That's what he wants. But this entire ideology, MAGA, this growing authoritarianism, like, all of it is about, I want the money. I want the resources. I want the power. Everything else is just tinsel. 
You know mm. what I mean? Like, like Bannon likes to talk about esoteric concepts. He likes to mess around with all these like old neo-fascist, proto-fascist uh, people, Julia Vola, um, these like weird people who with runes. Mm-hmm. You know, but the runes don't mean anything. Like the you want to talk about like the Nazis or the fascists, torch lit parades. They don't mean anything. Swastikas. They don't technically mean anything. They're just they're dressing. Right. To say we deserve to have the money. We deserve to have the power. We deserve to have the resources. Everything else is just like an excuse. Everything else is just trying to hide what is greed and manipulation at the heart of all of it. Well, you know, the, the big rallying cry is I don't I'll never trust the government to spend my money. I don't want to give them anything because it's so ineffectual. But, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Jared, but if you were to like raise a big pile of money for a specific project that you wanted to have happen and you try and present that to the quote unquote government to then do what you want them to do. It, there's a name for that, isn't it? Would you say? <laughs> Because that's kind of what he was probably trying to do, right? You just can't give the government a lump sum of money and say, like, you have to do what I want you to do with this because that's the, the word I think is corruption. Now, I believe it's corruption. And I will say um, in in the instance of this scam, I, I, I think that that large sum of money wouldn't have made it intact. That, that would be fair enough. Well, so I'm sure he said to himself, oh, my God, I mean, there's all these regulations. We have to go through all these hoops. We'll never get the money where we need to go. Well, Geez, I could use a new yacht instead. Like, if it's just sitting there for a while, I don't go anywhere. We can't spend it yet. Like, what's the big deal? Like, that has to have happened. And then I'm sure he took that money, right? He spent that money, right? And and, and it, in all of this, man, like, it's the same thing. It's it's all of these, like, Christian televangelists who got caught, you know, wetting their beaks as they're, like, raising money for God or whatever. Like, you start out thinking, I'm doing this for the greater good, which is what Bannon thinks, right? Like, this is for the greater good. The next thing you know, you think God is on your side. You think that you're working with the universe to make good things happen. Well, guess what? Don't I deserve something nice? You know, yeah. doesn't doesn't Banny deserve a nice new coat? You know, and, and, and it just sort of snowballs from there because it's hollow. It's 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 as hollow as an Easter bunny chocolate. Like there's literally nothing inside of it. All of it is just a veneer that basically covers up this vacuum of nothing but Pure greed. Pure greed. That's what it is. Because you, you always like to reference power. And yeah. it, does, it, it seems to ring hollow for me a lot of the time. To me, it's just money. That's, I mean, by the way, maybe, yeah. maybe if you talk to Tony Montana, yeah. power and money are the same thing. But Yeah, but money, money is a material representation of power. You know, you want to go back. You, you said something I think that is really important, which is somebody like a Donald Trump can surround themselves with the quote-unquote best in the law, even though most of the law like doesn't really work with him. Another thing that you missed, there have been a couple of developments. Speaking of Trump, I just want to drop a couple on your plate. Um, one, a book claims that uh, a couple of years ago he tried to pay a lawyer uh, by giving him a horse, which is great. Like a race <laughs> He tried horse? to barter a racehorse okay. instead of paying his bills. Uh, the second, and Maggie Haberman, a friend of the pod, yeah. uh, was uh, shilling her new book, which, of course, she had all kinds of information that probably would have been useful at the time. Apparently in 2020, uh, Trump was flirting with the idea of barricading himself in the White House after he lost the election. 
Wow. How, what, how, how flirty did he get? Do we know? Uh, pretty flirty. I, 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 I think flirted like with it bringing hard. in extra food and <laughs> whatnot. Like, Just bringing in a lot of Big Macs and putting them in. Like, well, you know, because I can't find it now, but I remember at some point around that time, somebody had video of a, like a, a procession of things being like carted, I think, into the White House or out of the White House late at night. I, I wonder if that was it. Like, he's, I, you know, I'm trying to figure that out. I got to tell you, um, that reminds me, and I'm so glad that I got reminded of this, a couple of other little pieces of minutia that you've missed it, missed by not being online. One, um, Trump last night, we're recording this on Monday, last night, Sunday, uh, September 11th, Trump made an impromptu trip to Washington, D.C. Like, there was nothing on the schedule. He showed up wearing uh, golf clothes and just showed up and then, like, got in a car, and, and there's been no explanation. Of course, the internet went wild immediately. He had been arrested. Yeah, uh, you couldn't see the handcuffs, all of this, which there's no reason to believe any of that. Other rumors started going around that he went for uh, treatment at Walter Reed, that there was a medical problem. There's a possibility he might have just went to play golf. Um, we don't know. That that was another thing that, that has popped its, popped its head up recently. That's weird. Like, no one, like, followed him or they didn't see where he went, I guess. I don't know. It, it just sort of, you know, it devolved into uh, basically uh, speculation. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's been a weird couple of days with all that. People are looking for signs. They're looking for wonders. You name it. You know, it, it always comes down to sort of superstitious. Well, uh, by the way, was 9-11 commemorated at all? Well, I mean, Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it was it was the usual sort of American rigmarole. That was it. It was, right. you know, Trump, never forget. Nick. Did Trump didn't pay any lip service to the truthers? I don't believe he did. All right. Oh. So, so uh, another piece of good news. By the way, uh, best of luck to Steve Bannon, another friend of the pod. Like, best friend. Best friend I, I hope your pod. travails figure themselves out, and I hope you go to jail for a very long time. Uh, Ukraine, Nick. Uh, there's been a development in Ukraine. Really? Uh, there was a surprise counteroffensive. Uh, basically, uh, Ukraine juked Russia out of their shoes. They have taken advantage of supply chain issues, mobilization struggles. Uh, they have taken back a vast amount of territory. In large parts of Ukraine, they have pushed the forces of Russia back within the Russian borders. Um, it it had it's being called by some one of the greatest counteroffensive in modern military history. Holy shit! Really? That was that was so weird because I was talking about that uh, this week too, and that came up because I was hanging out with my son who's you know a, a Russia phobe. Uh, wait, Russia phobe? No, what's the Russia file? File? For, forgive me. Um, uh, or, or Soviet file, nonetheless. Um, but we were kind of talking about this. Like, I'm like, wouldn't it be great if they started just doing incursions into Russia itself? And we've seen a little bit of that, like way around the border. But this is slightly, obviously, different. But in theory, if you want to consider what they Russia had taken Russian territory, well, then this is their incursion back into Russian territory and take, claiming it back. That's. Um, I, I, are you as worried as I am about this? Because a stalemate could very potentially lead to like nuclear uh, attack. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Well, there's a lot happening with this. Um, you know, we've, we've talked constantly about the story behind the story, which is um, whether or not the, the Putinist regime can maintain itself. Um, th there is a little bit more, a little bit more information that has seeped out that makes it seem like possibly Alexander Dugan's daughter, uh, Dugan, uh, that her assassination might have very well been an internal struggle. 
the possibility. I, I, and, and by the way, I don't know how much you've been paying attention to this recently. A lot of people just keep falling out of windows in Russia. <laughs> just the, the thing is, in Russia, you 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 stand next to the window. The next thing you know, you're like toppling out. It's weird. It's yeah. Well, you know, there's there, there's that natural. Um, you know, there's a, a suction that comes right from the outside, inside. You know, the air it, quality. It cross breezes, I believe they call it. Yeah. Uh, a lot is happening right now. Um, Russian culture, for the most part, has been uh, expectedly sort of propagandizing the war, pretending it's either not happening or it's a glorious success. Over the past couple of days, as this counteroffensive has taken over, like you're starting to see some Russian commentariat that are starting to like say, this is a problem mm -hmm. and things are going badly. Um, they're having a hard time filling the numbers. They're reaching capacity. I, I will say... I don't think that this war is going to end anytime soon. Um, actually, uh, Russia is getting a ton of weapons from Iran, these other sort of, you know, so-called like rogue nations. Uh, Putin is going to meet with uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping really, really soon, probably going to see an infusion of cash and resources. And on top of that, going back to the, the energy crisis that's, uh, you know, sort of burgeoning in, in Britain, winter is really really a conducive period for russia that's when they start supplying a lot of energy to europe and and the, uh, the western world we don't know how this is going to play out we don't know if putin's going to make it through this can he survive it is there going to be some sort of an internal friction that could take place here a stalemate is going to lead to a ton of death um hopefully there can be a negotiation and, and russia can simply leave ukraine but i don't think that putin's political survival um i don't think it's conducive to that um, you know, remind me, um, what happened when the Soviet Union went into Afghanistan? It went great. It was a, it was an operation that just couldn't have gone better. And then kind of what, when, when they finally did a whole thing fell apart, like then what, what happened in the Soviet Union? Uh, so here, here's the thing. There were a bunch of things that went wrong with the Soviet Union and eventually, let me check my notes, it disintegrated. Okay. So, you know, why not just in the, in this modern era, uh, things happen a lot more like a hyper speed, right? So what took, I think it was 10 years, right, of, of, uh, of Afghanistan in uh, morass could take you know 10 months or a year whatever it is here um i, I wouldn't be surprised but what you get have to worry about is a guy like putin would just end up not wanting you know, over my dead body you're going to take this position from me i haven't seen in my study and my analysis i haven't seen anything within the putinist regime that even starts to lend itself to a backing down or a de-escalation mm -hmm. literally again getting back to uh ideology because that's you know the front that explains everything else it's all been ramping up we're seeing all that Z shit. We're seeing all that nationalist shit, the esoteric anti-New World Order shit. It's just doubling down. So the question here is, what's going to break first, right? Is, is the struggle going to break? Is the regime going to break? It is an absolute utter mess. But it could, you, you said 10 years. It could be not just 10 months. We're talking 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 mm. hours, 10 minutes. Um, there's there's no telling what's going to happen here, but as long as Putin enjoys support from uh, these other sort of uh, nations outside of the American hegemony, including China, most specifically, I mean, this thing can continue on. There's no there's no question that the, the you know one of the easiest solutions would be to find a Brutus, and I have a I have a feeling that there's uh, a direct connection between that necessity and people falling out of windows. 
I think there has always been an incredible relationship between those. So, yeah, because that would probably be the way that this would actually happen, which would be unprecedented. We haven't had anything like that. Although in Argentina, Argentina, the vice president, is that where we were? Did you see that last before I went away? Literally a a gun misfiring prevented a what would have been the most awful thing to see on video live ever. Um, You know, that that almost happened. So, you know, maybe it'll have to happen again in this situation. But then who knows what happens Post Putin, who takes over for him? No clue. Um, And by the way, speaking of things we don't know, one last story that um, shocking that no one's talking about this and no one's actually covering it. Um, We are on the precipice of one of the largest railroad strikes in the modern era. Uh, There has been a um, really, really worsening situation between railroad railroad work. That's hard to say. Railroad workers uh, and railroad companies, uh, we are a couple days out uh, from literally one of the biggest strikes of the modern era. Um, People don't really think about railroads anymore, but if that stops, if that comes to a a crashing halt, believe me, you're going to be experiencing uh, the consequences of that. Uh, the White House has tried to mediate this in the past couple of weeks um, in, in true presidential fashion. It's been weighted a little bit more towards the employers than it has the employees. Uh, mediation has failed. Uh, it looks like we're almost a full go for it. I want to say, first of all, solidarity to the workers, but also to our listeners. One thing you have to understand in a burgeoning labor movement era, you might be made uncomfortable. Some of us might have to suffer from the consequences of labor solidarity, but the, the employers and the wealth class expect us to not support people because of that discomfort, because of those consequences. Um, it, it might get weird, man, if, if it doesn't uh, somehow or another get mediated. And also, I got to tell you, speaking of Reagan, we're going to be looking at a moment here. Like, what does Joe Biden do if the possible economic and political health of the Democrats, particularly, is threatened by a railroad strike? Like, is that another, um, you know, air traffic controller situation? And, and, and whatever the White House does here, it those decisions really impact what happens going forward like that is a that is like one of the most massive things a president can do in the modern era right it's amazing and i was exactly just waiting to to make that point about air traffic controllers because if you've forgotten reagan fired them all and it put a chill on the ability that for unions to have any kind of influence over the uh, their the working conditions for a long time that that was a direct threat um and it, it it we finally come back but it's taken like this long until unions are now as popular as they have been and you know newsflash unions prevent you know workers from i don't know getting killed uh, and maimed uh, and and you know uh, long-term illnesses like all those things are so important and it was crazy to think that not that long ago uh it was a four-letter word that uh these these conservatives uh, in the name of business were vilifying um, but it's another chance, by the way, for Biden to swoop in, which is these are the things he's pretty good at and negotiate something. Because, again, if, it, it's a supply chain issue. You know, the, the issues we had with um, uh, inflation, there's a direct tie to the supply chain things we had with ships on the, off the coast for months and they couldn't get their, their goods off. This would be the same exact thing. And if it happens right before the midterms, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And, that's like a, some, you know, random act of God that happens to, to torpedo the damn Democrats again. It's tough, man. And and I'll tell you this, like it's uh, union health and labor movement health is not just indicative of 
where labor is. Like literally that the, the firing of the air traffic controllers not only drove a stake through the heart of the remaining labor unions, but it signaled that the United States of America, particularly the political class, was on the side of the wealth class, period. And that changed an entire era. I mean, the the, the 80s, that, that pro-capitalistic uh, exploitation model, conspicuous consumption, was built on that. If labor unions gain power, things start to change. And not just in labor, they start to change societally and politically. This is a major thing. And you're exactly right. Biden and the Democrats here have every reason to head this thing off. You know, like, because it... If this comes to pass, I, I don't think people understand how reliant they are on rail. I, mm -hmm. I don't think they even have the beginnings of an understanding. And right now, I mean, look at what happened with the the, the uh, infant formula thing. One thing went wrong in one plant and shit hit the wall fast. We're talking about like a massive industry that makes everything move and everything happen. If something happens here, it's going to get really wild really quickly. And then the question is, do you head this thing off and somehow or another signal that Biden and the administration and the political moment are on the side of workers? Or do you cut that off at the knees and you basically do battle with the burgeoning labor movement? And that's a defining moment. It and, really is. And let's not forget about the baby formula issue because that spawned all sorts of awful intentional misinformation from the Republicans yep. about sending a formula to the border to, for you know, uh, migrants who are coming up from the border to like have for free all this stuff, which was not happening at all. Uh, who knows what they're going to make up about the railroad situation in terms of how they're going to try and pin it on on Biden and the Democrats as well. That would be completely lying. That people would just gobble up because again, they want they want the, that misinformation to use in their minds to justify their positions. Um, it would be terrible because there is this notion. I, I you know again, I hate to feel like um, I am uh, naive, but Something about the midterms and the in Congress indicates that there might be a hope that the Democrats can cling by a couple, of, you know, seats to uh, to majority control. But that won't help if this happens and, and people get upset about prices and about lack of being, you know, not being able to get goods. A reminder, and this goes back to post-pandemic where people were leaving their jobs during the so-called Great Resignation, like wait, having to wait a minute for service, having to wait a minute to get seated at a table, and, and then going out or paying more for gas or paying more at the grocery store. Those minor inconveniences many times are manifestations of the consequences of solidarity. Sometimes you have to say, as a consumer, I can't get what I want when I want it. And maybe I'm going to have to pay a little bit more because those low prices and that convenience are oftentimes built on exploitation. The wealth class wants you to turn your back on workers because you are inconvenienced. And it could get really weird and ugly. I have to imagine that this thing will be headed off. But if it isn't, man... If it isn't, this is a, a, a giant salvo in this burgeoning movement that we've been talking about. Right. And sometimes as a fellow human, I might need to wear a mask to protect other fellow humans. And without the proper leadership, that doesn't ever get through. And right. it, it breeds into a metastasized version of uh, anti-civilization that we're, we, we very well could be heading towards. And by the way, that's what the Republicans did with all of that. It was a consumerist choice. Are you telling me I have to wear a mask if I go to Applebee's? It's about the convenience of individual, quote unquote, freedom through consumerism. That was their tyranny. Oh, I can't go into Target without a mask? This is tyranny. It's about that convenience that this sort of pro-hyper-capitalistic -cap environment has created. 
I should get what I want when I want it for the price that I want to pay for it. That's what's replaced democracy. That's what's replaced like actual participate participatory democracy. Instead of getting a government that helps you or a government that like maintains systems or a social safety net, you get cheap Applebee's when you want it. And that's not a good trade. It's never been a good trade. And we're dealing with the consequences of it now. All right, everybody, I'm going to go talk to Nancy Schwartzman, the author of Roll, Red, Roll. A reminder, this is going to be a tough conversation. Uh, you know, there, there is some uh, sexual assault being talked about here and abuse. Uh, so try and stick around for that if you possibly can. And uh, we'll be right back with Nancy Schwartzman. All right, everybody, as promised, we're joined by Nancy Schwartzman, who's a filmmaker and the author of the new book, Roll, Red, Roll, Rape, Power, and Football in the American Heartland. Nancy, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I think some people have been familiar with your work, particularly when it comes to um, this case. Uh, going back to 2012, of course, uh, this was a, a really, really infamous moment uh, in American culture. This was in Steubenville, Ohio, where a 16-year-old girl, uh, Jane Doe, was sexually assaulted by a high school football team. Uh, this went viral. Uh, it, it, it created... Uh, a major firestorm of trying to reckoning, reckon with these things and figure out what's going on. Um, this book, I think, is an excellent dive into it, as well as the film. But I wanted to start, before we get into the particulars of, of the book and, and the ideas that are in here, what is it? I am always fascinated by other artists, like their obsessions, the things that they can't get out of their head and they have to work with and, and, and constantly sort of like get into and dive deep into it. What is it about this case and this moment and this idea that for you is obviously sort of a compulsion, something that you keep going back to? Cool. Um, I love to be, you know, categorized as obsessive, compulsive, uh, burning up type of uh, creative. <clears throat> I think what, you know, there's a couple things that happened in this case that drew me in. Um, <clears throat> primarily, you know, the issue area I've cared about gender-based violence for a long time. I think I see really clearly all the ways that the average person does not sort of see the roots of the problem. And, you know, um, I just have a kind of passion about righting wrongs in terms of understanding like who is to blame in a situation around sexual violence and like protecting victims and protecting young women um to be allowed to express their sexuality or go through high school or college without being victims of violence so that's kind of like a baseline just from my own personal experience as a woman um, and having so many people in my lives experience violence. Um, what was fascinating about Steubenville was it's these teen dynamics, and I'm always going to love YA, young adult stuff. You know, what is the insane hierarchy of a high school? Who are the cool kids? Who are the victims? Who are the, you know, class clown? Or like, how are people trying to fit into this cultural structure? And so Steubenville was fascinating. It's like a 1950s high school, basically the jocks and the cheerleaders, maybe some kids at band. And then you have the off the grid religious kids who don't even go to school um, that are homeschooled. So that school environment was fascinating. Then there was the element of social media. So Twitter, um, Facebook, all that stuff was sort of nascent at the time and growing. So I have long been interested in how people, as someone who straddles, um, you know, analog world and digital world, because I'm Gen X, right? It's like, how are kids, how is their intimacy and relationships being formed with social media, right? And so this case was the first to go viral. 
these kids documented it, mocked it, bragged about it, talked about it, thinking that socials were private because it was so early. So just like really understanding and looking at that um, and how technology um, and later hacking got involved. The other thing <clears throat> that I only sort of understood when I got there um, that was so fascinating as the whole town was impacted, right? It's an entire community. Um, I come from a suburb of a big city. I moved to a really big city. I did not have a small town experience growing up. I did not have small town Americana. Here's a town that's obsessed with football on Friday night. Everyone drifts down to the Coliseum. There's a flag, there's smokestacks. There's something so romanticized about the town as an American town. And then if you dig into the town, there's so many secrets. There's secrets and, you know, gambling and there used to be prostitution in town and mafia lore. So there's so much as a storyteller to like dig into in the town. Um, so it just hit all those points really well for me. Yeah, I, I, I think the, um, the, the sort of idea of the Americana town. I, I, I come from the, one of those small towns. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, there, there is very much, um, there's a sense of, you know, if you ask somebody to describe it, they would, you know, this is a place where you don't have to lock the doors. Everybody goes downtown on the, on Friday for the game, this, that, everybody knows each other, all this stuff. Um, you know, that, that's always like a very thin veneer, right? Yeah. There's always like a little bit of, 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 of that veneer. And then underneath it, you know, obviously it gets more complicated than that because those are cliches and, and trite sort of explanations. And I think one of the things that you hit on well in both this book and in your film is this basically, this could happen anywhere. This oh, yeah. literally is something like th this is the type of crime that does occur everywhere. It happens to be the virality of it, the moment of it, I think that is sort of the lightning strike that makes it apparent but we're not talking about just Steubenville, Ohio. We're talking about much larger situations here. Absolutely. I mean, why these boys? So the other piece that I really wanted to examine before even going to Steubenville was looking at perpetrator behavior, looking at pack mentality. And I couldn't get into prisons. I didn't want to interview serial rapists who were behind bars, but I did want to understand the mindset of um, people who target someone, who talk about it, who plan it, who execute it, and then, um, you know, disseminate the images. And what was so available in the student bill case was all of that social media, right? So you could track the conversations. Those boys in student bill were exactly like the boys I went to high school with. I went to high school nine miles outside of Philadelphia, public school. We had a horrible football team. It was a totally different kind of demographic and the same stuff happened to the pretty freshman girl who was my friend coming into school. Um, all the dynamics, the victim blaming the next day, the girls ganging up on the girl, the older boys targeting the new girls. So the rape culture that was going on in Steubenville, I was like, oh, that was my high school, hands down. So it's definitely happening it doesn't have to be football. And when this case broke and I was touring with the film, something had to come out about the New York City Ballet that some of the men were trafficking in images of their fellow female dancers. I was like, it happens in ballet. <laughs> like it's definitely happening everywhere. It was just so americana in Steubenville because it was the football team. And they're a really good football team. Like it'd be different if they were a crappy mid-level 
you know, team. So it just had all of those elements, but it's absolutely happening and it's not new. It's been happening when I was in high school, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And I think the most important thing about art like this and investigations like this is pointing out, I, I, I don't know, it's these old trite ideas about who we are and who does what and why we do it. Um, for instance, the fact that this is happening in, you know, quote unquote, anywhere town, USA, or a bunch of quote unquote, good boys who, you know, they're acting this or doing that or whatever. There is something here, whether or not it's the perpetrators or the people who enable them or the people who explain away the crime, there's something really fascinating here, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, mm -hmm. you have this moment where they have documented their crimes. There's mm -hmm. no denying what happened here. It is, it is black and white as black and white as, as can be, but then identity starts to get involved, right? Like these are people who wouldn't do something like that. Um, you have this uh, coach Reno, obviously, who, who goes in and starts talking about, are we going to call this rape? Can't we call it something else? We've got the people in the town, um, you know, in, in a way going to this football game or, or supporting this team is much more about the communal identity, right? This is who we are. Don't interrupt this. Yeah, and this happens in 2012, but 10 yeah. years later, our understanding of all those things, who is capable of doing these things and who, who and it's everybody, right? There's always these yeah. capabilities of people stepping in. The view in 2022 is completely different than what mm -hmm. it is in 2012. But I think sort of picking at that is, is crucially important at this moment. Yeah, I would say the reckoning still has not come. I yeah. think it's probably because it's too painful, but also some of the confusion. Um, and I do think it's very generational, um, you know, is understanding even how, the, you know, some of the older men in town are envisioning, you know, 1950s styles dating. So they don't understand how this girl getting around, you know, the victim blaming is so rampant. Um, in the 10 years since I've, you know, since the crime, um, you know, the town has moved forward in some ways and in other ways, like not at all. Um, the rift between the Catholics has grown more strongly, right? So the fundamentalist whole, the more like extremist Catholicism has really like taken root in town, which is, which is disturbing. Um, you know, they're kind of infiltrating city council, um, which they hadn't before. They kind of stayed out of like town business. And now, cause there's this university, they're coming in and you know what that means? That means, um, a non-separation of church and state. It means non-autonomy over women's bodies. Um, it means more stigma for sexually active women and God forbid they get pregnant and don't want to be pregnant, right? It's like a very dangerous um, separate sphere ideology um, taking root. Um, the mayor, who's this lovely elderly gentleman, who's really like pro- BLM, like he's not going to say BLM, but he absolutely supports Confederate statues being removed from other towns. Luckily, they're not in Steubenville, so it's easy to point south or, you know, um, you know, feels a, a kinship with the African-American community in town. But I think he's still very confused about um, what girls wear in church and promiscuous behavior they just can't reckon like where we are sexually as a culture and how that does not mean we should be targeted for violence yeah and i think uh, to go along with that I, I, the 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 fundamentalism particularly is is the fascinating part in here because in a lot of ways it's not that there was 
across the country, it's not like there was some great revival. It's not like some sort of spirit came out and like caught yeah. people. It's not supernatural. It's literally a reaction to mm-hmm. the events mm-hmm. following this. Everything from, from me to, to sort of that backlash. There is the moment where it's like, this is too far. We don't want these types of things to be exposed or dealt with. Mm-hmm. I have to assume in a community like this, a scandal like this, it isn't just that it makes the community look bad it shatters the mythology that all these people have to like sort of continue on forward sort of to make it through their days right definitely definitely it's like you can't blame single moms like you did throughout the 80s and 90s um because these are our good boys these are the boys that are from two-parent homes these are boys you know it's it's understanding kind of i'm just gonna say the like sociopathic rot at the core of a lot of American male identity. It's like we, and it couldn't be clear post COVID, right? Or in COVID. Oh my God, our society is sociopathic. Our society like enables, teaches, upholds, um, especially for men, narcissism and sociopathy are like, yep, you know, you over everyone else. Like that's totally fine mentality. So really for people who did not grow up that way, grew up in a different America, let's say, just to understand that teen boys in their own town are so callous about another person's humanity and like will brag about it means they have to address online porn, means they have to address like what they're not teaching their kids and um, they're not ready to do that. You know, it's it's dark, it's dark shit. And a lot of moms don't want to think that their boys... um, Really, I have to say the the people where I got the most resistance from across the board yep. were mothers of sons. Yeah, I, I when I, I wrote my book on uh, masculinity uh, back in, my God, now that's five years, 2017. I actually noticed the biggest pushback was from mothers. Yes. And, and it was because the, there was something in that about trying to protect their sons. And, and it, it, a lot of the feedback was either the people who wanted me to stop criticizing masculinity because they didn't want to think about what was happening with their sons, right. or it was, it was mothers who wanted their sons to be better. It's, it's a very interesting sort of a thing. And in the mm-hmm. past, and I, I'm, I'm interested to see what you have to say about this, because as a, I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, a hetero white dude from a small town that was football crazy. I used to see men who were misogynistic, repulsive, all of that. And it happened. And listen, it it bled into social situations. It bled into conversations. It happened all the time. This isn't something that just occurred. What's happened now, though, I think as sort of a backlash to all of this, what we're talking about is it's a gleeful misogyny. It's a reveling in it. It's a doubling down on it. And now it's almost as if, the hypermasculinity overcompensation that comes with it, the aggressive misogyny, it is now more of an identity than it was in the past, which was something that sort of, it, it, it occurred and occasionally it would leak out, but now it's much more of, a, of an aggressive embrace. Mm-hmm. Of that. Mm-hmm. It's like an identity. Yeah. It's, it's backlash. I mean, it's just backlash against wokeism, backlash against, you know, and then there's the whole like Reddit world of like cucking and, you know, if God forbid you, you know, get dumped by a woman, right? It's, it's this backlash against, um, you know, women having any kind of power, whether it's like, we're doing better in school than you are, or we 
hold the keys to your sexual fulfillment or like whatever it is. I think there is, has been this really encouraged level of like glee about being disgusting about it, whether you're an incel, which is one end of the spectrum or you're a hyper-masculine jock, right? All, you know, it's, it's really just this backlash against women in power. And I think Hillary Clinton, you know, running for president helped accelerate that. And then Trump sort of cemented it as like, this is an absolutely acceptable form of identity. And even when I'm visiting where my mom lives in Florida, gross Florida, obviously, but, um, you know, it used to just be kind of quiet, like Southwest part of Florida, there are flags and like really nasty, hateful banners on people's lawns. And like my niece and nephew play there. And I'm just like, what's up with this? Like, it's like, hateful rhetoric just like plunked on the lawn and these are upper middle class homes and it's like why are you saying even my cat hates Biden like why are you putting like hate it's so dumb I was like I don't is that some weird like let's see reference like I don't understand why your cat is involved um but you know it's just like hate on the lawn right and you're just like geez, when did that all start? So it's gleeful misogyny, it's gleeful hatred, it's gleeful, you know, really just like bad behavior. Um, Yeah, I think it's a big backlash. I think incel culture has trickled in um, and, you know, chads are even behaving in the same way, you know? Yeah, and I think it's, um, cause you know, I I, I told this story a, a few times on this podcast. Like I have members of my family who would, you know, brag about their sexual conquest, how much money they had just be, and we're talking like pre-Trump. And mm-hmm. what would always happen is the moment they would leave the room, everybody in the room would be like, I just feel so bad for him. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's so sad. He's obviously so insecure. They knew what that was. And mm-hmm. any guy who actually pays attention to other men who engage in this, they know it's overcompensation. It's it's mm-hmm. fear. They're terrified other men are going to think, you know, they're less masculine or whatever. And so they they perform and go back and forth. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, what do you think is happening in the group dynamics of all of this? We have in this situation, this is a gang assault. This is a, a, a group of young men mm-hmm. um, who who carry out this, this awful, awful abuse, this awful crime. And they revel in it. They're talking to one another. They're trading these pictures, these videos. What do you what do you think is playing out there? How do you think that that plays into this total picture? Yeah, I mean, there's a kind of whole section where I sort of named out like these like archetypal um, observations I made. They're not you know clinical diagnoses, but they're every everyone played their part. So even before we got into the assault we had someone that I like to call the fire starter. Um, He had been wronged by Jane Doe. She had broken up with him and moved on. He started, um, he, Trent was the ringleader. He's the quarterback. He's rising quarterback. He's hot shit. Um, He's the one that started talking to Jane Doe and like establishing like, oh, I like you. He got her information from the fire starter. Who's Cody Saltzman. He gave her his, um, he gave Trent her number. He gave Trent her father's number. You know, he's like, here's how you get her. Yep. He's also the one who took the photo of her being carried on Instagram and tagged as sloppy, right? And that's the photo that went viral. He's not in the room during the assault, but I would say that he was pretty critical to like getting things moving, documenting, setting it up. So Trent's ringleading. 
Malik is a classic follower. Even the prosecuting attorney was like, that kid's a total follower. He's hanging out. Um, he's a really phenomenal athlete. Um, he's African-American kid adopted into a white family, like the story of the blind side because he's such a great football player. And um, so he's hanging out with these elitist kids, right? And he's just following along. He participated in the assault, but like he didn't text or tweet about it too much. But he's there, he's doing it, he's fitting in with Trent. Then you have Anthony Craig, who I find fascinating. Um, he is like the trafficker, I call him the, the gossip, right? He's like, he traffics in information. And there's 200 pages of text messages that um, for legal reasons, you can't like include all over the place, but are amazing to read. And he is talking out of all sides of his mouth, talking to Jane Doe, what do you remember? Who did you talk to? Da, da, da. Talking to Jane Doe's friend. Um, just to confirm she doesn't remember this or she does. And then going back to the boys and saying, don't worry, she doesn't remember. She's telling me what she does. He's playing everyone's friend. Um, he gets called back into the police uh, station twice because they catch him in a lie. You know, so he's there. He takes pictures. He sends them back to the bigger party. He's just trafficking in info, right? And my favorite line um, that he says to law enforcement um, when they catch him with the picture is he said, honestly, I was so scared by what was happening. I took the photo to, 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 to show my dad. I was scared. Moments before he had texted everyone, wait for me, bro. Yeah. They're going to rape that girl. So it's just like, dude, so many receipts. So there he is trafficking in info keeping the fires going. He's like egging on what's happening in the room because there's an audience at a party adjacent taking it all in, right? So there's someone who, um, I mean, Trent and Malik committed the assault and then Evan Westlake was there and Mark Cole was there as well. Um, Mark Cole like hosted the party. So he like enabled it to happen in his mom's house. Um, he also was one of the few that had sort of a sense of responsibility. Like um, this, this like, isn't good. I'm not going to stop it, but we're at my mom's house. Right. So there was just this collection. I think the people that are really important um, are the witnesses, are the documenters and are the like enablers. I mean, they all help it go. Like it could have just been a quiet thing with two guys doing something awful, mm -hmm. but it was really accelerated by the audience. Um, the other person to mention is um, Michael Nodianis, who made this like comedic, I'm putting that in quotes, um, you know, 12 minute video recounting what, what he was seeing and how funny it was and all this stuff. So he was really maximizing his social capital in the moment because he was cracking jokes. So it's a lot of social capital being gained by these guys following the ringleader. Um, psychologist David Lisak would say, you know, Trent Mays was the ringleader one night, but that doesn't mean Anthony Craig couldn't have been the ringleader another night. So it's not, there's not like one bad apple. There's kind of like a network. Um, but I think the documentation and the sharing and the audience building, which is what some of these guys were doing is like as important um, to the group behavior. Yeah, I think, and, and this goes back to one of the reasons why I think your work on this case has been um, so excellent is this is as, as repellent of a situation as it is. The documentation of all of this is um, uniquely modern. Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 it gives us the insight, I think, into how these situations occur, what psychology is playing out. And it, it's, it's really hard to look at. 
That's that's something I keep coming back to. It's really, really hard to look at, but it's something we have to look at. Mm-hmm. We have to, we ha- we 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 can't turn away from this thing. It's not, it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and our impulse to pull out the camera and not intervene is really disturbing. I mean, we're seeing it everywhere and everyone talks about it now with like wildlife or an accident or like anything. It's like, what is this impulse to take out and film? I'm really fascinated by, you know, the Brett Kavanaugh um, and Dr. Blasey for that scenario just reminded me a lot of Steubenville um, in terms of also, I think beyond the documentation, which is like some, some of the aftermath, there's the premeditation. Yeah. And I think we understand premeditation to be this like criminal mastermind with all these maps and plans and, you know, giving Trent Jane Doe's number is like a bit of premeditation, right? Making sure Mark Cole's mom's home so you know where party C is going to be. All right, we got that set up that morning. That's premeditation, right? So Brett Kavanaugh, even when Blazy Ford was, you know, in the room getting pinned down, it was either Brett or his friend walks in, turns up the music, yeah. closes the door. It's like before things happen, but they turn up the music. It's like, oh, it's like shit is about to go down. That is pre-meditation on some level. That's not an innocent, like, oh, we were hanging out. Why did you turn up the music, right? So it's like, I'm fascinated as someone who does look at like criminal behavior for a lack of a better term, but just like, how are, how do these things get set up and then get said, oh, I got caught up and swept up in the moment, which is what a defense attorney will say happened to Malik or Anthony Craig. Like they were just wrong place, wrong time. Bullshit. They knew the plan the night before. Um, That was not an accident. So I think a lot of times culturally, we want to think these are circumstances out of our control, or it's a good guy who got swept up in a bad thing. Mm, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to speak out. Sean McGee in my, in my film and book speaks out. Gino Atkins, another football player. I really appreciate that he said all the things he said in my book, like he's willing to talk now as an adult who's like, wow, I have perspective. Yeah. It's hard to speak up, but there are people who do it. And it just sheds light on like, this isn't an accident. These aren't people getting swept up in a situation. They're capitalizing on one, creating one. Yeah. And and r- real fast, because I wanted to talk to you about this before uh, we wrapped up. I, you know, on one hand, I think a lot of what we talk about when we're talking about these these topics are how do we capture this? How do we make sure that people are held accountable? Which is one thing that is obviously a component of it, right? And and the phone is a panopticon, like the camera makes it possible to sort of do this or social media or whatever. How do we make changes so we're not having to capture the crime or mm, the act. Mm. What, what, in your opinion, from your research on this, looking at this, the ins and outs of the situation, what would actually solve this or what would actually reduce this issue? Now that you've taken a look at it, what are, what are the ways that we can take away circumstances or change culture or education? What do you see as, as being possible here? Yeah. I mean, really, truly we need um, consent-based ethics-based pleasure-based sexual education starting from kindergarten and kindergarten is about boundaries and what is your body? What are the names of the parts of it? It is yours, you know, all the way up to what is emotional readiness in a sexual 
situation, you know, how to set boundaries for yourself, you know, how to listen, like kids have adults. <laughs> I mean, if you go on Instagram for anything with like love and relationships, it's all about how to set boundaries. I'm like, wow, do we just have no clue yeah. as people like our generations born on social media, just told like, you literally have no privacy. If I ask, can you see me on Tuesday? You have to give me the litany of all the things you're doing instead of just saying, no, sorry, I'm busy. I don't need to know all this. So I think boundaries are like a huge issue and we can't expect kids to be getting it at home or from their peers, right? So I know it's, you know, trite to be like, we need sex ed, but we desperately need sex ed. We desperately, desperately need to understand what are the mechanics of sex? Um, let's talk about health and let's talk about mental health and then bodily autonomy. Like how do, I mean, girls have no idea how their periods work and they have them for, you know, 35 plus years. Right. So we don't know shit about our cycles. Like we just are so in the dark about so many things. So to start with that and then be really clear about what is autonomy, what is consent and consent is, um, not my favorite framework because it's like literally the lowest bar you could have. Oh, was it consent? Did you get consent? Did you get it? It's like, oh my God, like, did you want it versus did you get it? You know what I mean? So, um, but we need all that. And then we need, we just need to be steeping emotional intelligence in all of our programs, which includes sports, you know? So coaches need to be able to talk to their boys and not say, stay away from girls. They're going to get you in trouble, which is every coach because coaches are not sex educators. And I feel for them. They're just trying to like get you from A to B, get you out of trouble and keep you on the field. Right. But they need to be part of this. They spend more time with youth than the teachers. Teachers are 45 minutes a day. Coaches are two and a half hours. I spent hours with my tennis coaches growing up. They were monsters. Um, That might be my second book. It keeps coming up. Tennis tennis, (laughs) all the things. So, you know, it's a little like on the nose, right. But we need education from a very early age. We need to understand boundaries. Um, We need to understand pleasure and rights. And then everybody at the school, at the school and athletic level need to be part of it. Parents need to ask if my kid's going to a gymnastics um, gym, you know, what the fuck, who are the people working here? You know, what are the rules, right? When you think about all the things that happen to the girls in the gymnastics programs um, up to the Olympic level, right? So then there's accountability stuff um, where we have to have hard conversations in community when people we love do bad things. You know, it's very hard when people that we love and trust, whether it's our good friend from math class or a coach or someone who was always nice to me, is suddenly not nice to someone else. Like how, and I don't think adults have this figured out either in the workplace, but like, how do we do community resolution around conflict that centers the victim's experience that doesn't silence the victim, even if it's more convenient. And I think it's incredible because that last part is like the really, really complicated matter, but Mm -hmm. literally everything else that you brought up is being countered by this sort of counter progressive counter revolutionary push. You, you now have basically you're, you're having children cut off from emotional support at school, emotional education at school, sexual education at school. Um, you're, you're, I mean, even something as small as saying, oh, sports are becoming feminized and they're not tough enough anymore. Like 
literally everything that you're talking about, which I, th- I completely agree is absolutely necessary to start making even the most basic changes. That stuff is being countered by this movement that, by the way, is being fronted by the exact same people who say nothing's wrong here. We don't need to take a look at this. And that keeps us from like the really complicated work that needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great way to put it. I just, it just popped into my head. Speaking of athletics being feminized, Tara Brock, um, the Buddhist teacher was, I was listening to a podcast of hers and she was talking about how exhausting it is to spend time with toddlers, right? And like young children, like how emotionally, like physically all of it. And they did a study and they put Harvard's football team had to spend two hours with like a mass of toddlers. And they all said, oh my God, that was harder and more challenging, more physically and emotionally exhausting than any practice we've ever had, right? And it's like, well, that would be a really fascinating experiment to do, right? With athletes. It's like, you know, it would just give you a different perspective on gender roles and women are the ones traditionally running after toddlers, getting no respect for it, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, sports being feminized, like we're being cut off from all of these things. Um, but the conflict resolution for adults and for youth offenders and for workplace harassment, like all this stuff, like gaping, gaping holes around it. And it's everywhere, especially now. I mean, people are desperately trying to be like ethical in community, but what do we do about that amazing organizer that happens to be an abuser? (laughs) I don't know. No one's, no one's really modeling that well, although we have restorative justice and transformational justice frameworks. um, Very few people are adopting those. And, and again, we've been sitting here talking, I wish we had so much more time. We've been sitting here talking with Nancy Schwartzman, filmmaker and author of the new book, Roll Red Roll, Rape, Power and Football in the American Heartland, an excellent book. Uh, Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. Where can the good people find you? The good people can find me um, on Twitter at uh, Fancy Nancy NYC, even though I don't live there anymore. Um, or I have a website, Ms. Nancy Um, Yeah, and the book is out, and I hear it reads like a fiction. So get in there and read it. Um, there's also an audio uh, version for more of the true crime leaning folks. Um, yeah, but that's where you can find me. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jared. All right, everybody, we are back. Nick, I have to tell you, uh, I'm so glad that we got back to recording. I don't know how you felt about it. I missed the podcast last week, even though I did a, a bootleg thing for the Patreon. Like, I missed I miss this thing. Oh, absolutely. I think everybody probably did. I mean, this is a, a thing that it feels good to do and have a conversation. I saw, I saw people on the socials talking about having withdrawal. Really? I, 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 and I don't think that they were joking. I was, I, I absolutely a couple times hit Twitter and like this because I just do that when I open my phone. I quickly had to swipe it off. I was about to go into Discord like, oh, let's talk to people. I'm like, oh, I can't do that either. Uh, it truly is remarkable what how hard it was. It was one of the harder things I've had to do in a while. And... Um, also peace of mind like I, I i was probably more rational and more maybe you know lighter in the in the shoes for a little while with doing that so maybe we should all try this for you know maybe a day at a time or something like that where it's not because again i'm telling you when i'm on my phone i'm nothing to do i'm waiting for my wife in the store i would just go on twitter and read news for a half an hour straight you couldn't absent that like it was tough to find things to do but it actually kept the the mind you know a little a little cleaner I think that's an important thing. I think if, if we can move away from that, and, and again, that goes back to the consumerist sort of convenience, right? Like I want it now, I want it now. 
and and that is a, a an addiction and i think it was designed to be an addiction i think that we can back away from that i mean we don't need to be we don't need to be watching trump show up in dc and thinking is he in handcuffs and we just can't see you know what i mean like it, it's it, that's not conducive to anything having larger more in-depth conversations and actually considering these things is is really really important which is I think one of the reasons we do this podcast and why we did it in the first place. And uh, yeah, I'm just glad to be back. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, be back to, to uh, coalescing the vapor of <clears throat> human existence to, with you. Uh, always, uh, it's it, it's needed for me too. This becomes a bit of a therapy as well. I think for everybody listening, for us and you and I talking. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Yeah. And thank you everybody for your support as always. A reminder, we'll come back on Friday with the Weekender Edition. If you want to listen to that, go over to patreon.com slash Podcast. Subscribe. Support the podcast. It keeps us uh, ad-free. It keeps us editorially independent. And also we have a really good uh, community of people that you should join and get to know. Uh, that is patreon.com slash Podcast. We'll be back on Friday with the Weekender. In the meantime, you can find Nick at Can You Hear Me SMH. He's back on there, so you can actually find him there. You can find me at J.Y. Saxton. Stay safe, everyone.